Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Well, we're going to get into our message this morning, and uh, this has been, at least the last couple of months, have been quite a snowy, cold winter, amen? Uh, one of those things, been quite snowy and cold, and I'm grateful that we live in a time uh, where we have uh, gas, electric heaters, um, and, uh, and thermostats, right, that, uh, that we can just adjust and that can keep the heat going. I was thinking about it this week, and I wondered what it would have been like to uh, live back in the, in the day and age in, in which uh, there was not uh, electricity, uh, in which there was not uh, access to, uh, to the gas or, or petroleum or those kind of things that, that provide the, the furnaces when, when you had to have a, a good old-fashioned fire to keep things warm. You know what I'm talking about? Like, think all the way back to the day and age what it would have been around the time when Native Americans would have been here. And if you would have been one of those Native Americans, you would have had to uh, make sure that you uh, all summer were preparing for winter. That you were cutting down and, 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 and chopping wood. That you were having enough that, that you needed to be able to, to have it for the winter to be able to keep that. And can you imagine what it would have been like in, in terms of uh, as it started to get colder, uh, having that fire, tending to that fire, making sure that that, that would have been on your mind. Uh, it would have been on your mind. The first thing that you got up when you got up in the morning was to see uh, how the fire was, to tend to it, to make sure that you cleaned out any of the extra ashes that needed to be set aside, that you placed fresh wood on that fire, that you, you kept that fire burning in order to, to keep things warm. It would have been key to your survival. The last thing you would have done at night would have been to make sure that you were tending to that fire, that you were putting enough logs on that fire, that you had enough, that you were keeping that fire burning to keep you warm all through the night. Fire would have been key to your survival. And so today, our world, if I, we look at it spiritually, when it comes to tending the fire of our lives and the fire of our faith, I don't know about you, but our world has been growing colder and colder to the things of the Lord. Amen? More and more, we see that there are a lot of elements that are working against faith. Elements that are working against to keep our, our fires of our faith from increasing. Things that are, that are, that are, that are always working against us. And so... Uh, today we know that it's imperative that we keep our fire. We've been in this series called Ignite, that it's important to keep the fire and the passion for the Lord, our, our fire for our faith burning brightly for the Lord. But Matthew 24, 12, Jesus warned this about the last days. How many believe we're living in the last days? I believe we're living in the last days. Can I just detour just for a moment? You know, Jesus talked about the last days kind of being like birth pangs. And, 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 and if you know anything about that, you know that, that as the contractions start to, to get closer together, you're nearer to the birth, right? You're nearer to the birth. I, I don't know about you, but when we take a look at what some of the signs of the times that we see in Matthew chapter 24, the, the fulfillment of certain signs, we are seeing a rapid increase closer together of these signs that are taking place. What's happening in Russia and the Ukraine, many are, are, are taking a look saying, is this Gog and Magog that, that is talked about in Ezekiel, that is talked about in prophecy? Is this a fulfillment of end time 
prophecy. When we talk about wars and rumors of wars, when we talk about plagues and, and pestilence, if, if COVID-19 was not a plague, a worldwide plague, I don't know what is. We're, we're seeing ever-increasing signs, and we're seeing those signs getting closer together. And what does Scripture tell us to do? Look up, for your redemption draweth nigh. It is time to look up. It is time to repair our hearts. And one of those things that is a sign in the Old Testament, Matthew 24, 12, says that sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. Are we seeing that in our world today? Sin is ever increasing and growing rampant. Friends, we need to prepare our hearts. We need to be ready. In the last days, we've got to be careful that the fire of our faith does not grow cold. There is everything that is fighting against the fire and the flame of your faith and wants to put the flame of your faith out, wants to put the flame of your faith and have it grow cold. And we've been talking about the lamp of God. Last week, we talked about the oil. And this is what Jesus talked about in terms of getting ready, being ready in the last days for his coming. Luke 12, starting in verse 35, be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you'll be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. This is a passage in which Jesus is likening his coming, his return to servants who are awaiting. They don't know when the master is going to return. They don't know the day or the hour. But he's encouraging these servants to be ready, to be dressed and ready for service and to keep their lamps burning. Friends, that's an imperative command from Jesus. That you and I, as we are living in these last days, need to make sure that we are tending to the fire and the lamp of God in our hearts and keeping it burning. Last week, we looked at the oil of the Holy Spirit, and I encouraged us that we need to tap into the anointing of the Holy Spirit day in and day out in our lives. But today, I titled this message, On Fire or Burn Out. On Fire or Burn Out. There are many attributes that can be accurately utilized to describe the very nature of God. In fact, in Scripture, we see that, that He's defined by love, by mercy, compassion, grace, holiness, and, 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 and there's all of these other kinds of, of descriptions that are given to the Lord that depict His nature. However, repeatedly in Scripture, there is a, there is a description of God that, that symbolizes a part of his nature and who he is, and that's the element of fire. The very essence is revealed through fire both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In fact, in the Old Testament, when, when God came down, the Israelites had come out of Egypt. They were, they were coming in the wilderness, and they came to Mount Sinai. And as God appeared on Mount Sinai, the mountain was shaking, and it was filled with fire and smoke. The very nature of God was one that, that was fire and smoke. When, when Elijah calls on God to reveal himself against the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, how does God show up? God comes down as a consuming fire. A consuming fire. 
And, 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 and we see that it consumed not only the, the altar itself, but even the very ditch that was filled with water. And, and throughout, God's nature is that he is a consuming fire. When God appeared to Moses in the wilderness, he appeared as a, a fire in a bush that was burning, but did not burn up. Throughout Scripture in the Old Testament, we see that, that there's a fiery nature of God. In fact, in the, in the New Testament, one of the things that, that we see is when the Holy Spirit comes, it says that he descended on them as tongues of fire. Fire, the very nature of God is that of fire. The late E.M. Bounds once said this, God must be represented by a fiery church or he is truly not represented. God is all fire and his church, if it is to be like him, must also be aflame with the great eternal interests of his. We've got to be consumed and on fire for the things that God is consumed with. The things that God says are important. We, as his church, ought to be set aflame for the Lord. When it comes to our faith, we've got to watch and guard our heart because there is a, a very real enemy who is out there and the nature of our world today is set to quench the flame of faith in your heart. Romans 12, 11, Paul encourages us, and we read this the first week we kicked this off, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. When it comes to zeal and spiritual fervor, if we're not careful, the fires of our faith can go cold. Paul encourages us to keep, keep, that is tend to, keep to the spiritual fervor of our hearts. So let me ask you once again, are you on fire? Or are you burnt out? Are you on fire? Or are you burnt out? In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, Jesus appeared in a vision to John and, and, uh, and, and, and there was an evaluation. You see a picture of, of, of a lamp, a lampstand that was representing the fire or the influence or the light of each church. It's, it's right there at the end of Revelation chapter 1 and then going into Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And you can come on Wednesday nights to Pastor Kevin's class. They're going through these churches in more detail. But what he's doing is an evaluation on where each of these churches was at. Where were they at spiritually? What was happening in their context? And there was an evaluation and some of them received a commendation while at the same time receiving some direction and, and, and some conviction about some things that weren't right. There were some where there was great encouragement and then there were others where, where there was no commendation whatsoever. And, and as he began to look at the spiritual condition of these seven churches throughout Asia Minor and Jesus writing his letter to these churches, the last of these seven churches is the church in Laodicea. And that's what I want to spend some time looking at today because Revelation 3, 15 and 16 opens and it starts to talk about who Jesus is, but then there is absolutely no commendation. It moves right to this. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you be either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Yikes. Ouch. Jesus is talking to the church. Jesus is writing to believers. The vision is to believers, it's to the church, to those that have the lampstand. He, he's writing to the church. 
And he says, you know what? I know what you're doing. I know your works, but I got to tell you, here's what I see. You're not hot. You know what? You're not even cold. You are lukewarm. You are lukewarm. The fire has died down to room temperature. There was nothing about their faith, nothing about this church that stood out. Nothing that could make a difference. To understand this better, we need to know a little bit more about the context of the church in Laodicea. You see, outwardly, this church was in good shape. Laodicea was the wealthiest of the seven cities of these churches where, where Jesus was writing. Laodicea was the wealthiest of it. It, it, was the well, it had a, a great banking industry. There was great manufacturing that was taking place of black wool. And there was a, a medical school that produced an eye ointment. And as we read through, you're going to see the symbolism and why Jesus is using the things in this city to draw some conclusions the city was so wealthy that, that it had an earthquake in, in AD 60 that nearly destroyed it. But when it came to rebuilding the city, they didn't want any help from the imperial city of Rome. They asked for no help. They had enough resources and enough wealth that they wanted to rebuild it themselves. If you were a real estate agent at the time... This was the place you'd want to be. This was the place where you could sell. Laodicea was the place where you wanted to buy. It was the place that had it. It had it. There was only one negative, And it had to do with the water supply. They, they had a lack of an adequate water supply. The city of Heropolis, which was seven miles to the north of Laodicea, was famous for its healing hot springs. Maybe like Hot Springs, Arkansas. I don't know. It had these hot springs, and, and they were known for healing in Heropolis. And in the south was the city of Colossae, where, we, where Paul wrote to the Colossians. And there they had very cold water, very cold, refreshing water down in the south. But Laodicea, as rich as it was, had a serious water problem. Kind of like Flint, Michigan. Oh, I'm just kidding. That was bad. That was a really bad joke. I'm sorry. That was off the cuff and not in my notes. The, the water from this city came along on a, on a six-mile aqueduct. And so by the time it traveled six miles down to the city of Laodicea, it was no longer cold. It certainly was not hot. It was lukewarm. And in fact, it had collected along the way minerals and chemicals that for some, when they drank it, actually made them vomit. Because you are neither hot nor cold, you are lukewarm. I will spit you out of my mouth. Perhaps slowly and perhaps imperceptibly, the culture of this city had creeped its way in and become the culture of the church. The church in Laodicea was known as a church that, that was a church of affluence and comfortable and complacent. You, you kind of initially get the impression that, that this would be a, a good church to join. There was nothing that says there is false teaching that you have put up with, like in some of the other churches that are, that are talked about. There was certainly no persecution like was talked about in one of the other churches. You don't see anything about persecution from any of the Jews or in fact from any of the Romans as well. The church in Laodicea was not dynamic, but it was not a dead church either. It was not a thriving church, but it was certainly not a dying church. It was not a risk-taking church, but it wasn't a comatose church. It, it, it had a well range of evangelical respectability to it. You might say it was a normal, safe 
comfortable place to join and have your church membership. Believers were not zealots and neither were they agnostics. They weren't hot, they weren't cold. They're simply described as lukewarm. As lukewarm. Being lukewarm can be defined as a lacking of conviction or enthusiasm. Kind of a form of indifference. Biologically speaking, lukewarm means that the water is mildly warm or tempid. Being lukewarm is playing middle ground. It's not cold water that is drank to be refreshing, nor is a hot tub that you can sit in for soothing. Lukewarm actually serves no purpose. So why did the temperature of this Laodicean church become lukewarm? And what's the prescription for igniting the fires once again? I I think it's in here. I think if we take a look, we see these things. So let me talk about a couple of causes, a couple of causes to lukewarm faith. A couple of causes to lukewarm faith. The first one, I believe, is indifference. Indifference. We simply get comfortable and we stop caring. We stop caring. We stop caring about our faith. We get comfortable and we think, you know what? Okay, it's just okay. It's okay to be okay. It's okay to be okay. I don't, I don't, I don't have to be that crazy about my faith. I don't have to be that excited all the time about my faith. I can just go about my business and do my thing and not really have to worry. It's okay. Okay is okay. The church was not hot. They were not cold. Now, I know your deeds. You're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one, one or the other, but, but you're, you're not either. And you don't really seem, it doesn't seem to bother you. Now, I don't want you to hear what Jesus isn't saying. Jesus doesn't desire people to be cold. All right, can I just say that? Jesus wants us on fire for our faith. But I've got to tell you that, that when you're cold, you have more of an opportunity for Jesus to move in your heart and for you to recognize, you know what, I'm cold in my faith. You know what, I have, I, there, there's something that's not right about my relationship with God. I recognize there's this not rightness, Right? But when you're lukewarm, you think you're okay. You have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. You have a form of religion, and you're a part of religion, and you're a part of going through the motions. So for you, I'm okay. Everything is okay. I I don't have to be that crazy about my faith. I love Francis Chan. And several years back, he wrote a book called Crazy Love. Anybody ever read Crazy Love? Crazy love. I just want to. I just want to go back. I was reminded as I was preparing for this that he talked about a profile of a lukewarm church, lukewarm believers, lukewarm Christians. He profiled them, and I found it enlightening. And so I just want to highlight just a profile of a lukewarm Christian. Lukewarm Christians don't really want to be saved from their sin. They want to be saved from the penalty of sin. Right. God's a useful fire escape for them to employ, but not a God they worship. It's okay, I want to be saved from the penalty of sin. I just don't want to be saved so much that I actually give my life to worship God. That I do what Romans chapter 12 talks about where I'm a a living sacrifice. I don't want to actually put myself on the altar. I don't want to actually crucify my flesh. I just want Jesus to forgive me so that I have a fire escape and can escape the fires of hell. But I don't really want to live where I love the Lord my God with all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my mind and all of my strength. Isn't it okay to just love the Lord with some of it? Can I just love him with some of my strength? With some of my heart, 
with some of my mind, meanwhile letting my mind be on a whole lot of other things. Lukewarm Christians are moved by stories about people doing radical things for Christ, yet they do not do radical things themselves. In fact, they call radical what Jesus expects of his followers. How about this one? Lukewarm Christians equate their partially sanitized lives with holiness. I mean, you know, Jesus didn't call us to partial sanitation, right? He called us to discipleship. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your life needs to be defined not only by avoiding sin, but by entering into his suffering. Uh Uh-oh, getting serious in here. Lukewarm Christians rarely share their faith with their neighbors, their co-workers, or their friends. Charles Spurgeon once said this, you're either a missionary or an imposter. Uh Uh-oh. Lukewarm Christians think about life on earth much more than they think about eternity in heaven. Lukewarm Christians love their luxuries and rarely give to the poor in a sacrificial way. Lukewarm Christians do not live by faith. Their lives are structured so they never have to. I don't have to live by faith. I'm comfortable. I'm okay. I I don't have to live by faith. David Platt says this, if you're not in a place where you feel desperate for the spirit of God, then there's no way you're on the front lines of mission. When we're on the front lines, we feel desperately our need for God's help. Do you feel desperate for the Lord? God, I need you to move. God, I need you. If if you don't show up in my life, I I don't know what I'm going to do. I need you. I need you. Lastly, lukewarm Christians give God their leftovers, not their first and best. In fact, he goes on to write this. Stop calling your complacency and apathy a busy schedule, bills, or forgetfulness. Call it what it is, evil. That sounds extreme, doesn't it? But friends, it's how easy it is to become indifferent in our faith. To settle for a faith that is just okay. To settle for a relationship with Christ that's neither hot nor cold. Just kind of indifferent. See, that's what the world wants us to do. That's what the world wants us to do. They don't want a church that is on fire for the Lord. They want a church that is comfortable to sit and to just come. And I did my duty and I left. And then I go about my life and I forget about everything until it's time once again to come back. If I can make it that day, if it's not too difficult for me to show up, I don't know if I really want to do much extra with my life. I, you know, I'm just comfortable and, and, unless it's time to show up. That's okay. It's okay. It's okay to have that kind of faith. Let me tell you what John Wesley said. And if you've been paying any attention to the church that he was a part of, that he founded, the movement that he was part of was the, the Methodist movement. This is what he said years and years and years ago. This is what he warned. He said this, my fear is not that our great movement, knowing as the Methodists, will eventually cease to exist or one day die from the earth. My fear is that our people will become content to live without the fire, the power, the excitement, And the supernatural element that makes us great. 
I don't think that's just for the Methodist church. I think that's for any of us as believers. There's a danger to becoming content and indifferent and living without the fire of God. There, there's, a, there's a difference, perhaps, perhaps that's because of the second cause of lukewarm faith, and that is maybe we are simply self-deceived. I think that part of indifference is because we, we become self-deceived. This is what Jesus said in Revelation 3.17 to this church, the Laodicean church. For you say, you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I am in need of nothing. I am successful. I have it all together. I am I have it great. There's nothing wrong with my church. There's nothing wrong with my faith. I have everything I need. I, I've got it all together. Oh, not realizing <laughs> that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Talk about being self-deceived. Talk about not seeing the true state, thinking of ourselves better than we ought, according to Philippians chapter 2. The warning that Paul gave is that we not not to think of ourselves better than what we are. That there's a, a warning here that says that the heart can be deceived and, and wicked, who can know it? That David, David actually understood that and prayed that and, and let me see, let the eyes of my heart be open to my true spiritual condition. How sad. They said, I, I am, we're rich. We're blessed. We, we have everything we need. Everything is right on track and didn't even realize how self-deceived they were. Friends, my fear is, is that, that oftentimes we're so self-deceived that we don't see ourselves the way Jesus sees us. And Jesus saw this church as neither hot nor cold, as pitiable, as, as, as wretched, as, as poor, as blind, as naked. They couldn't see it, but that's what Jesus says. And he said, because you are lukewarm, you actually nauseate me. You make me want to vomit out of my mouth. As people say today, it just you know, kind of made me vomit a little bit in the back of my mouth. Jesus says, no, it's not just in the back of my mouth. It makes me want to hurl. When I take a look at the spiritual condition, boy, pastor, that doesn't sound like a merciful, loving God. But that's because he doesn't, he doesn't want us self-deceived. He, he didn't want this church self-deceived. He, he didn't want a church that was living lukewarm. He wanted a, a, a church with the fires of faith. So what's the prescription to overcoming lukewarm faith? What, what is this prescription? What does he say? How do we light the fire? How do, we, how do we heat up the temperature once again in our faith? How do we heat up the temperature once again in our lives? I want to talk about four ways to reignite your spiritual passion. Number one. You've got to start by admitting your desperate need. Admitting your desperate need. Let's go back to, to verse 17. You say, I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you're wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. The, the problem is they, they, they couldn't recognize it. They had lost their desperation for the Lord. And they needed to come back to that place where they realized, you know what? I am spiritually in need. 
I have spiritually allowed the flame of my heart to go dim. I've allowed the fires that once burned bright in my heart and I've become lukewarm. And you know, I think that there are a lot of things that contribute to that. And I think there are a lot of things that, that over the last couple of years that really have contributed to many, many believers who have simply struggled and found themselves in a place where it's just become more comfortable for me to live this way. And I'm no longer on fire for the Lord. There's every excuse in the book that we can use for why we can't do this and why I can't do that. Why I'm, I, I, I'm no longer serving God and giving my gifts and ministry to serve him. Well, you know, I'm just busy. Well, you know, I, 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 somebody else, I did that for many. It's somebody else's turn. Excuses of why we can't share our faith. Excuses of why we can't come together and worship. Excuses, 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 excuses. When really the reality is we are no longer desperate for God. We've lost our desperation. We've figured out how to live and how to say, well, I can just do it this way. I can just settle in and do it this way. Not recognizing the poverty of spirit that Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But until we get to the place where we recognize once again, our poor in spirit, when we can admit I am poor in spirit, I am in need of you. We'll never take those steps to stir the fires of our faith in our heart once again. Like Laodicea, they tried different strategies to meet their desperate need. They they were rich. They tried riches. And those are the things that we acquire. Oftentimes when when we have a need, instead of turning to the Lord, we look for something else to satisfy. What can I acquire? What can I buy? What new toys? What are the new things that I can can purchase and acquire that make me feel rich and make me feel good and make me feel blessed? Or maybe we follow the rules. That's what religion does. Religion's good at following the rules. And rather than relying on Jesus as our Savior, we rely on our good works. And we say, that's the reason I ought to go to heaven. That's the reason I ought to be accepted by Christ. Because I did this, and I did this, and I followed the rules, and I did this. Those are the things that we, that, that we require. Or perhaps it's knowledge. I, I know. I know in my head. I, I have a lot of knowledge. I, 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 you know, I, I, I've got it all down. That's how we inquire. Or relationships. That's who we desire. We look at the different relationships. And if I'm just in this. And my relationships are satisfying. And, and my relationships. I'm getting out of them what we want. We have a lot of consumer relationships. Like consumer of everything else. Where, where our relationships are as good. As long as we're getting out of what somebody. What we want. And it's meeting our need. And we go into relationships to meet my need rather than what we can give in the relationship. Uh-oh, now I'm preaching. Or achievement, what we aspire. Got to make it to the top. I'm successful. But the truth is, no matter how well we acquire, require, inquire, desire, or aspire, at the end, all of us are going to expire. What really matters? What really matters? Be dressed and ready for service. Keep your lamps burning. 
What really matters is, is that we have a desperate need and we recognize that I am not sufficient in and of myself. There is not a self-sufficiency, but there is a Christ-sufficiency that I need to have in my life. And so where do we go? We go to Jesus, number two, to meet the deepest needs of our heart. This is what he advised, Revelation 3.18. So I advise you to buy gold for me. Remember, they were rich. But buy gold for me, gold that is purified by fire. Fire is purifying. Then you will be rich. (laughs) Buy white garments for me so you'll not be ashamed of your nakedness and oil for your eyes so that you'll be able to see. Remember, Laodicea was known for its wealth. It was known for manufacturing black wool for for stylish clothing. It was known for its medical eye salve. And yet at the same time, as much as this church had, Laodicea had all of this, the church was was poor and they they were naked and they were blind. And Jesus says, that's because you're not going to me to meet the desperateness of your need. You started to trust in these other things. You've started to rely on these other things. And as a result of that, you are poor and you are blind and you are naked. You have nothing to cover your shame. If we want to break free from lukewarm faith and recover our passion for the Lord, then friends, we've got to learn to come to Jesus for the desperateness of what we're truly lacking. The true riches that are not found in the things of this world. Matthew 6, 19 to 21, Jesus said, don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moth and rust eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. The things of the Lord, what we truly desire, is there a desperateness in our hearts where we're looking to Jesus to meet the needs that we have, the eternal needs to provide the the value in our lives. Buy from me gold refined in the fire. I have what you truly need. The value that you'll find is found in me and not in the things of this world. I'm the one who covers your shame. I'm the one that gives you the vision that you truly long for. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Jesus stood up one day and declared this in John 7, 37. He stood with a loud voice. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He has the waters, living waters. John 6, 35, Jesus replied, I'm the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever ever be hungry. This is not about physical needs. This is about a deeper need, the spiritual need that we have in our lives that we need to come and allow Jesus to reignite the fires of our faith and satisfy what we truly need. Number three, we respond as deeply loved children. Remember what I said, Jesus isn't, isn't trying to be harsh in, in, to this church. And sometimes it, it appears, Jesus, where's the grace? Where's the mercy? Where, where is this at? Here it is right here, verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Be zealous and repent. Those I love, 
This is the heart behind Jesus' rebuke. It's the heart of love that, that just like a, uh, parents love their children and want the best for their children, if they see their children a- acting in a way that is harmful to them or that is not helpful in their lives, that is not going to produce something good in their lives, sometimes they will discipline them. Why? Because they want them to learn that there is a better way. And just like this, so Jesus says here, I love these, those whom I love. I love you. I'm reproving you because I love you. I love you and I care about you. Be zealous and repent. Some people grew up with punishment. What's the difference between discipline and punishment? There's a big difference. Punishment makes you want to run and hide. But discipline, if responded to, leads to a fuller and healthier outcome. How, how do you respond when things go wrong in your life? How do, you, how do you know when it's God's discipline? Well, here's how you know. When it's God's discipline, it's not that I feel guilty about it. I might feel convicted. I don't feel guilty about it. I feel directed by it. When God disciplines us, we're directed in a way. God isn't just making us feel bad about ourselves. He's saying, listen, I want to direct you to something better. There's direction to it. You know, he says, I'm not, I don't want you over here. I want you over there. If, if, if what's your feeling is, oh, I'm just a rotten person. Oh, I'm just a terrible Christian. Oh, I'm just awful. What's your, what you have is condemnation condemnation. And, and, and the Bible says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. There is discipline and there is conviction, but it's not condemnation. Let's not fall into a spirit of condemnation. Let's allow the conviction of the Holy Spirit to redirect our lives in a way that we begin to do the things that God has called us to do. We begin to live in a way that God calls us to live. That's what repentance is. I'm going in this direction. The Holy Spirit convicts me and I say, no, that's not the direction. I I need to change course and I need to go in a different direction. It's not just simply feeling bad about our sin and going, oh, I feel bad. Oh, I feel bad. And continuing to do the same thing over and over again. Be zealous in repentance. Be zealous in repentance to regain the zeal and the passion for the Lord. Hebrews 12, 11 reminds us no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. Come on, let's just acknowledge it's painful. Kind of like this sermon for some of you. But afterward, there is a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained, trained in this way. Discipline, train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old, he will not depart from it. There is training. It's not just It's not just punishment, condemnation, whack, whack, whack. It's training, it's redirection, it's it's discipline. And if you're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit this morning, it's because God loves you. He loves you. He cares about you and he's wanting to direct you. Don't resist his love, but here's number four. This is what's happening. This is what's going on in our hearts. God is what? He's knocking. When continually open up the door of your heart to Jesus, Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. I know that this verse is often used when we're talking about people that, have, that don't have a faith in Christ. And we say, you know, he's knocking at the door of your heart. 
open up your heart and let Jesus come in. And you know what? That's really good. That's not a bad thing. If you don't know Jesus, he is knocking at your heart and he wants to come in and he wants to begin a relationship with you. But it's, it's enlightening that we forget that this verse is really in the context of Jesus talking to believers, talking to a church and saying, you have closed up your heart. In your lukewarmness, you have closed up your heart to me and you are not opening up the door. We have lost fellowship. We have lost fellowship. I'm on the outside, not on the inside. I'm knocking and the door is shut. Open up the door. I'm knocking because if you will, you will find a greater degree of fellowship with me that will stir up the fires of your heart. I will, I am knocking. Don't close your heart off to me. And there are reasons we close our heart off to Jesus. There are circumstances and situations in which we begin to draw in and we shut the door tight. Maybe it's that self-sufficiency. I can do it on my own. I don't need God. I've got everything I need. Door shut. No relationship with Jesus. It's amazing to me how when things are going well, we stop praying, we stop fellowshipping, we find ways to to easily slide into compromise, but the moment things start going south, all of a sudden we open up the door, Jesus, where are you? The desperateness doesn't return until the problems come. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Lukewarm faith is because we cut off the fuel, which is our relationship with Jesus. And he's knocking, saying, let me in. Now, let me give you a little bit of an example. It, it happened following the, following the resurrection, just to, in those few short days after the resurrection. Might have been even on the day of the resurrection in that, that morning. But later in that afternoon, there's two of Jesus' disciples and and they're distraught. They can't figure out what's going on. They had followed Jesus. And, and, and then the crucifixion happened. And now they're hearing stories about the resurrection. And there's just a whole lot of stuff that's happening. And so they're heading out of Jerusalem. And, and, and they are walking on a road that's called the Emmaus Road. And as they're walking, they're discouraged. And they're trying to figure things out. And they just can't, can't kind of understand what's happening. This isn't the way it was supposed to go down. And Jesus shows up and starts walking with them. But they don't perceive. They don't recognize it's Jesus. It, they're, they're in this, this funk. You ever get in a funk? And they don't recognize that it's Jesus. And he's walking with them. And, and Jesus kind of plays with them a little bit. He's inquiring, what are you talking about? What are y'all, haven't you heard? Where have you been? Don't you know the news? Don't you pay attention to Facebook and, 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 and Twitter and, and Instagram? Don't you know the news outlets and what's happening? And oh, tell me. So they begin to tell him. And then Jesus begins to talk with them. Well, don't you understand these things? And, and he begins to, where does he go? He begins to go into the word. And as he goes into the word from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament, he begins to, to share with them uh, and, 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 and about, about himself. And they don't even know it's about himself. They don't even recognize it. And he begins to, to share with them until they come to a place. And Jesus acts like he's going to go on. And they say, oh, stop with us. It's getting late. Stop with us. And they begin to have a meal. And, and Jesus breaks bread. Fellowship, right? Breaks bread with them. And immediately their eyes are open. And, and this is what they declare. Luke 24, 32. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked on the road 
and explain the scriptures to us. Friends, do you want a zeal for the Lord to return in your life? Then you can't do that apart from opening up the door of your heart and beginning to fellowship once again with Jesus where the bread of life begins to break the bread of the word of God and begins to stir up and burn in your heart a zeal and a passion for him. The reason we don't have a passion for Jesus is because we simply stop valuing time and relationship with Jesus. We stop stirring up the relationship with Jesus because as you stir up the relationship and you allow the Holy Spirit to reveal the scriptures and begin to speak to you, you can't help but your heart burning within you. You can't help but have a zeal and a passion for the Lord once again. Oh, friends, we got a fellowship with Jesus. We got to open up the door and let Jesus in. Come on, somebody. I don't know about you, but man, if you have a dinner plate and you don't, you don't clean it the night, you know, you don't, you don't have it clean the night before, you don't put it in the dishwasher, you just leave it sitting in the sink, you wake up the next morning and it's a lot harder to get that scum off, isn't it? And you know, some, some, some ways we, we get this, we try to work at it. You know what I'm talking about? Scrape, scrape, scrape and try to work. Oh, it takes so much effort, right? Or you can just... Fill up that sink basin with a lot of hot, soapy subs, uh, suds, not subs, I must be hungry, suds, and let that plate soak. Just let it soak in that hot water. You know, it, it's not about working to get right with God. It's about su- sitting in his presence and, uh, and, and soaking in his relationship. And you'll find that that sin that so easily entangles, it's a whole lot easier to let that come off of your life when you're, when you're sitting and soaking with Jesus. We're so busy, we don't soak with Jesus. We, 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 we stop spending time in his presence and just soaking in his presence. In 1931, a Norwegian pastor named Ole Halsby, I'm going to ask the worship team to come, wrote a book simply called Prayer. And he began his booklet with that, that exposition, Romans three, or Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, opens it all, come in and eat with him and he with me. And this is, this is what he said. He, this is what captures the essence of his prayer. He said, we, we open our nothingness and emptiness and hunger to Christ by opening the door. We bring him into all, we bring him into all that is prayer. And then he went on to say this, it is not our prayer which draws Jesus into our hearts, nor is our prayer which moves Jesus to come into us. All he needs is access. He, he enters of his own accord because he desires to come in. To pray is nothing more than to open the door and give Jesus access to meeting them. To, excuse me, access to our needs and permitting him to exercise his power in meeting them. This requires no strength. It's just a matter of our wills. Will we give Jesus access to our weakness and our needs or not? Start here with your prayer life. Will we give Jesus access to our hearts? One final thought from the book of Isaiah as quoted in Matthew chapter 12. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Is your wick smoldering? Are you on fire or are you burned out? Are you on fire or are you burned out? 
today the Lord is, is moving in our heart. And he wants to restart, fan into flame that passion for him, that desperateness for him once again. He's knocking at the door, friends, but will we open up to him? Will we open our hearts up to him? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Friends, maybe you're here and the, the flame of your faith is not burning as brightly as it once did. Maybe if you were asked, am I hot or am I cold or am I lukewarm? How would you answer that question? How would you answer that question? Are you on fire or are you close to being burnt out? And today, do you want to open up your heart once again and say, Jesus, fan into flame the passion. I'm desperate. I'm desperate for you. I'm desperate for you. I need you. If that's you and you want me to pray and you want to be included as we pray today, will you slip up your hand today? I, I need the flame of my heart to be stirred up. I need a fresh passion for the Lord today. I need to open up and let Jesus move in my heart again. Yeah, Jesus. Father, right now, we just thank you. God, we just pray that you would stir up, stir up the flame in our heart. Lord, those areas in our lives where maybe we have relied on ourselves, we've relied maybe on our own goodness or our own blessings we we've relied on 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 things that happened yesterday in our our lives or or a time where we encountered you in the past but but it's been a while since we've been in your presence it's been a while since we've been excited it's been a while since we've been on fire god today we open up the door of our heart and we invite you in jesus stir up the flame fan into flame our heart fan into flame god our passion we're desperate for you we are desperate for you move in our hearts oh god excite us once again let us live god for you in such a way that we desire to obey you we desire to follow you we desire lord to to be on mission with you oh jesus stir up our hearts we pray in jesus name thank you for listening to today's podcast we pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.